In a change to the advertised programme, we now bring you not one, but two simultaneously released Dwarfcasts. We originally intended to record one podcast to discuss two topics, but when both conversations went on for longer than anticipated, we decided to split it into two parts, so that neither lead was accidentally buried. Dwarfcast number 116 is already available to download, but first, it's time for Dwarfcast number 115. This is a dwarf cast. Hello, and welcome to a somewhat unusual dwarf cast brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. This is the first time we've been back to Broadcunting House since our friend Seb Patrick passed away on the 2nd of August, and we'll be paying tribute to him later in the show. But first, it's our not-live, not-instant reaction to Red Dwarf The First Three Million Years, the three-part documentary series produced by North One Television and broadcast on Dave between the 6th and 20th of August. According to the synopsis, it's the definitive overview of the adventures of the legendary boys from the Dwarf, charting the origins, production and legacy of everything associated with the sci-fi comedy cult classic. But is it, though? Hmm. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me, as always, are Jonathan Capps. Hi. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. So we've all watched all three parts, so what are our brief thoughts? It's, it's not definitive. <laughs> no. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely got big chunks missing. I would have a more comfortable time telling you what the last three million years is if the last three million years knew what it was trying to be, I think. Yeah. I think is I, I I did enjoy it. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not yeah. I didn't like it. I did like it. It's just the fact that I just feel like it's not. It felt like we're only halfway through the kind of history of the show. It feels like as if there's a whole section missing, and I don't really get why there's so much focus on the what seems to be the first six series and then nothing else. Like eight is I don't think eight is mentioned at all in in any of that documentary and focus is a very strong word to use in relation to this as well. <laughs> um but it was it was odd because it started out i think the first episode is the first episode of a different documentary series to yeah. what we eventually got because it did start out fairly promising and i remember we were all fairly positive after the first one hmm? because that told uh a well-trodden story, you know, nothing that was a surprise to us as hardcore fans, but a, a story worth telling nonetheless of how the cast came together and, and how Rob and Doug came to write it and then the problems that they faced getting it on air and then a fairly chronological run through series one and two. Yeah. And you would assume from that that the second episode would pick up from there and carry on in a chronological fashion, maybe going up to the end of the BBC era or to the end of series six or whatever. Uh, but no, the second two episodes were just a, a grab bag of just unrelated bits. And you can kind of see why, why maybe why they did that. Because if, you, if you're breaking down the history of Red Dwarf, like what is the most satisfying linear story in its production that you've got that has a beginning and an end. And the only one really is, how did it come to be? Because there's yeah. got some drama in there, it's got some jeopardy, and ultimately <laughs> the ending is fine. Once you get past that and you get into the 90s, you, you're you not left with much of a linear story to tell without getting into some weeds that obviously this didn't want to get into with regards to Grant Naylor and 
contentious seven and eight and the BBC canning it, you know. Mm. Um, so I can see why the first episode has got this nice structure, and I can also see why the the second and third then basically turned into a clip show for the show and also a clip show for documentaries that a lot of fans have already seen. Mm. Or story, clip show for the stories we've heard already. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that my kind of overall summary of it is that it's entirely matched my expectations uh, for for good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, like it, it it didn't surprise me. Uh, there's a, a few instances where you know things are done better than I expected or things are done worse than I expected. But overall, when it was first announced and the language that they were using about it, and you know when they said that there'd be. Um, previously unbroadcast outtakes and deleted scenes and, and behind the scenes footage that's never been on British TV before. <laughs> I instantly that rang an alarm bell of ah well, yeah, if it's not been on TV before, sure, but you know, it's been on people's TVs before if they've got videos <laughs> or DVDs. Yeah, that phrase doing a lot of heavy lifting. I'm not definitely complaining about it. Like I'm not vehemently thinking that saying that it's a it's a bad thing. Because basically what they've got is this I, like there is a documentary series that tells the complete story of Red Dwarf, but it's split over yeah, like yeah. thirteen or fourteen DVD releases <laughs> and done in different chunks, focusing on a series at a time. And so they've basically taken all this wealth of behind-the-scenes information and footage and repackaged it into a three-hour mashup. Yeah, I mean the fact we've got a three-hour documentary on on an actual channel rather than just as an extra on a DVD is, you know, that's that's quite a thing i mean i'm, I'm not yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy it exists i'm not i'm not you know what i mean it's like it's just it's difficult to judge as a, as a fan if i'm honest with you yeah. like it's difficult yeah. for us to judge it because we've seen a lot of this stuff before so to us this is like oh this isn't this is new information but like for instance i watched it with my mum who hasn't seen all the extra stuff on the dvds and she really enjoyed it she yeah. really enjoyed it because yeah. it had loads of stuff in that she didn't know about, like about Alan Rickman being cast and Alfred Molina and all the rest of it. And there's some stuff I didn't know, like about Kathy Burke apparently going up for Holly at yeah. some point. That stuff I didn't know. There's a couple of bits in now, like wow, I, I even I didn't know that. But a lot of it was more like for people like Mum who hasn't seen the DVD extra stuff. They're the ones that get all of that information. And she saw the pilot for the first time, and she was like, "When did this? When was this a thing?" Mm. <laughs> But I was I was thinking that there are a number of cut like loads of comedies that I'm interested in that I've seen a lot of episodes of maybe even seen all episodes of but do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of yeah. and I was just trying to put myself in those shoes of like if this was a documentary where it wasn't about Red Dwarf it was about one foot in the grave or a lower low or you know everyone's got their examples of comedies that they they like but aren't massive geeks about. Mm. Um, and I just thought, I was watching it and I thought, well, imagine seeing the footage from um, Better Than Life, uh, the deleted, the abandoned scene where uh, Craig and Danny are just shivering and it's supposed to be paradise that they had to go and reshoot. I remember seeing that for the first time and being amazed. And there's a bit where um, Rocky Marshall's in there and he's holding up sketches for what would become Starbug and it's like the earliest preliminary sketches. And if I hadn't got the Body Snatcher collection, and if I hadn't been to DJ and seen uh, the yeah. model unit giving talks, I'd have been blown away by stuff like that. So you're right, it's hard for us as fans to judge it when we're not really the target audience. We're That's not. a very good point. We're and actually, like, in my experience of DJs, 
um, sitting in the merchandise room and seeing most of the attendees coming through, like there's a there's a fair amount of people that are going to Dimension Jump that don't really bother with the DVDs. Like yeah, they 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 they, they you know enjoy the show for the show and they maybe will buy the DVDs to watch the show, but aren't necessarily the type of people to watch extras but if something is big like this and promoted on dave they'll sit down and watch it and so maybe this this reached a huge amount of people just we're just not really aware of in a bite-sized manageable version that's you know done for a a a bit more of a broad audience yeah and is narrated by doctor who yeah (laughs) which is doesn't that was a surprise i say it didn't surprise me we didn't know who the narrator was until like a day before you know the the very immediate lead up and i was surprised that it was david tennant (laughs) the 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 script the script writer did need to maybe like chill out on the uh, space puns a little bit (laughs) um (laughs) but but it was nice. It was nice. Having... Well, that's part of the course with this stuff, though, isn't it? Yeah, you could see that. That's the kind of perspective of like a documentary maker rather than a Red Dwarf fan. It's like, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's crowbar a few of these in. Let's set the theme. I also know, like in the first episode, like I thought there was really good music was used throughout, like um, you know, existing like pop music or whatever. But in the first episode when they were setting the scene of this is the 80s all the tracks that they used were like early to mid 80s they were all way earlier mm. than the period that they were they were referencing about. what Rob and Doug were listening to in Wales when they were writing the pilot in <laughs> yeah. 83 yeah but there was things like Sledgehammer and stuff which is definitely 86 so it's yeah. like that kind of stuff but I'm happy that Sledgehammer is in a Red Dwarf documentary so that'll yeah. be in yeah there's a few there's a few good ones in and there yeah like kind of the, the typical stuff you expect to hear like New Order like anything that you, you want to sort of explain any Anytime I ever see on a documentary anyone explaining what the 80s were, <laughs> they'll be intercut with pictures of money, someone with a phone, and Thatcher. When two tribes go to war. <laughs> it's exactly, yeah, exactly that. It's either, it's either Frank Goes Hollywood or it's New Order. Yeah. And it's just typical. But it, it's nice to see Red Dwarf set in a historical context as well, because it's not something I've yeah. really thought about, in it, if I'm honest with you. Like amongst that era, that's when all that stuff was going on. So it kind of yeah. helps to kind of set the scene mm. a little bit, and it's something we haven't had before, so that was good. You do forget just how long ago thirty-two years is as well. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's really and it's like it's the first series of Red Dwarf. As the voiceover pointed out at one point, Red Dwarf has been on air in five consecutive decades now. That made me feel very very <laughs> sick. Don't, don't, don't worry, 88, 88 to 2020 is almost cheating, I think. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's bit, yeah, but it's still, but it's still true. But it's technically true, which is the I worst think, kind of true. I think we said that, actually. I think that's something we might... Do you know what? I, um, it, it sounded familiar when it was brought up, and we, we definitely mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I searched in WhatsApp, and me and Seb were talking about it in November last year. <laughs> oh, God. Um. Before we go any further, though, there's like one thing that like knocked me sick in this documentary. Absolutely sickened by it, which uh, was at the end of the pre-titles uh, when the title card came up, and it was the fucking rubbish old logo yeah. that was released a while ago, and we all said it was rubbish, and then they went away and and, gave, and posted a different one <laughs> on social media, which then wasn't used in the show. I don't know. I don't know whether I am. I would, to give them credit for. Um, refreshing their their marketing or to 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 give them not credit anti credit for 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 like 
for clearly being the intention to use that logo. I, I obviously don't blame them for for not going in and changing the logo in the show because it was probably months months since you know wrapped up and. I don't and know. Finished. It just it just seemed but, like it seemed like that first one when as soon as they released the second one, we assumed that the first one was just an early draft, like a placeholder. Mm. But it turns out that that was the final version. It just looked like a placeholder. Well, I mean, I'm going to only speculate here, but I can only assume that it's like it was a placeholder that was too late to change. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because they did have they obviously did have enough time to make a new logo. They didn't have enough time to implement it, and they had a little animation with, and the little animations as well. The little animations of of Starbug and stuff going across the screen while the the crate that was quite cool. I quite liked those. They were quite cool. But the the little ellipse. This is the, the <laughs> properly fan gripe. Is this is the lips was the wrong way around depending yes. on which end of the screen it came on, and it just it yeah. kind of like looked wrong when it was the wrong way around, and it was like, oh, that looks so weird. Starbuck <laughs> flying on did every time it came on, it did make me think of the scutter in the end remastered. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little cute Starbuck though. It's a properly little rendered thing, and I thought it was a I thought it was a no, nice little touch. That's fair. Um, I was just about to say you were talking about like maybe that was a placeholder that was too late to change. That is just speculation, but uh, something that you have to bear in mind with this and sort of give it the uh, benefit of the doubt to some extent is this was made. You know, they started making this and then a global pandemic happened, mm. which shut production yeah. down yeah. throughout the UK. So this is a product of like Doug's interviews um, were shot uh, by himself on her, at home on a green screen. Oh really? Uh, because they, yeah, because they happened post lockdown. He tweeted about it. Oh. Um, so you know, this is a program that's been made in difficult circumstances. Yeah, um, I think so. As as someone who works in TV, I have to <laughs> keep making those yeah. excuses in case <laughs> someone points the finger at me. <laughs> I think it's just it's it's a frustrating little thing. Is this documentary because it feels like it's one part too short to me? Like it feels Maybe, like it's just at least just, at least at yeah. least one part. But that's that's is that just us going? We know there's more information. <laughs> we want everyone else to know that information or is it a case of we have not got that mind of going well they've got the budget to make three episodes that i think got it just needed a bit more room to breathe and to allow it to have a structure mm. because this part three so part, part three is most fresh in my mind it's um, watched it this morning <laughs> yeah <laughs> well he was trying to style that out <laughs> finger finger on the pulse um stuff here from gnt um the the third part it, um, has a good stab actually at having a structure. So for I think maybe the yeah. first twenty minutes, the science angle was I thought was really good. And mm. I'm going to show myself up here. But who was the the, the science fan? What was his name? Oh. Dallas Campbell. Thank you. He was really good. I, I thought that. I, in fact, I thought the celebrity talking heads in part three were were used um, really well. Um, yeah, actually, a, de- a decent collection. Really, like I'm not that fussed about hearing from celebrity fans usually but they seem to have that that little spark of knowledge that you can kind of tell when someone has gone past a certain point of being a fan to like knowing a bit too much about something and you're like okay yeah one of us oh yeah katie brand we knew was a proper yeah she's great uh, because she did uh power of three podcast where she talks about infinity welcomes careful drivers nick helm has previously hosted uh one of the premier events i can't remember which one it was only in edinburgh series 11 it was uh edinburgh it was the one with cured so i think it was 11 yeah if it's cured it's 12 oh 
See what I mean? There's, there's, the new series are definitely a blind spot I mean, for me. Uh, what I hate is these fake fans that just don't really know stuff about the show. <laughs> and, like call episodes Captain Rimmer and oh. eleven and twelve is going to do that every fucking time for me with that conjoined blob of series. That's what's going to happen. But yeah, it was cured. So it was that was the episode yeah. of the premiere of Cured that Nick Helm did. Uh, where Nish Kumar, I didn't know previously, was a Red Dwarf fan, but um, knowing his work it, and know, like having seen him on quite a lot of things, it he's makes sense. Basically, our <laughs> he's age, got right? that type of. It's not he's a got that type of personality as well, where you can tell he's he's probably one of us. I, yeah. I think he's pretty uh, much exactly my age as well. So like, yeah, prime, primed for Red Dwarf fandom, really. But yeah, I think in the third part, you're right. Katie Brandon, Nish Kumar in particular, they they displayed that they got what makes the show good. It wasn't just like I liked this scene. They knew they they talked about how deep the show can be and how it's rooted in real things, and they seemed aware as well of, of like what an achievement Red Dwarf is and put wanted to put it in its context and give it its due. I think Nick Helm added less. Yeah. And I've I've never I've never <laughs> seen Nick Helm in anything and thought, oh I'm glad he's there. Yeah. Like like no, yeah, man. his comments didn't really you know, they were about skin deep and it's, yeah. it's just like he wouldn't get Johnny Vegas. That's par for the course. Yeah, you yeah. could pop you him get, into you have to head have and celebrity talking heads in these things. <laughs> it's yeah. He knows more about it than Eternal or Noel Edmonds. Eternal don't even know how to say the name of the show. Neither does David Tennant. Uh, neither does Doug Naylor. <laughs> no, Doug Naylor. Oh. Rob Grant does it as well, Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. Speaking of Rob Grant, he wasn't in it. Wasn't. <laughs> Rob, he, him and Paul Jackson, I thought were rather conspicuous by their absence. That's a shame. Mm. It, it just seemed... Yeah, it's again... It's not a surprise, mm. but, but that's because as fans we know that there's this shit has gone down there over the years. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's difficult to get all everyone together in the same project. It's happened very rarely since the nineties. Um, I like how Ed is like the divorce child that just go between houses. <laughs> yeah, they've got shared custody of Ed, <laughs> and unsurprisingly, he was one of the best interviewees. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, he, like just like he. He's the best person at telling a lot of those stories. Like even if they're stories we've heard before, hearing them from Ed is a good thing. And and they talked about him. Like the other interviewees talked about him with great reverence as well. And like clearly display like everyone fully aware of what he achieved on the show. I love how Ed can just he can, he can hold court and be incredibly entertaining. But really, what he's talking about is the minutiae of composing a shot. And putting shots together, like when he's talking about backwards, and he say like the complete of, of you know, okay, so this shot I'm starting wide, starting wide, ending in close, and and all of this, and he's you know he's all everything he's talking about is actually really kind of quite geeky level of of detail. Yeah, he's just immensely like you kind of don't notice, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it all makes sense because yeah, yeah. it's said by. Someone who's passionate about the thing they do, basically, and he's incredibly passionate about the stuff. The stuff he yeah. did, very proud of the stuff he did. So it's just infectious. It's just lovely to see. It occurred to me as well with um, with the fact that other than Doug and the cast, Ed By is probably the strongest link between all the series. Like, because mm. he is the sort of the the longest serving. I think he's got the range. Yeah, he yeah. sort of ranges across a greater span of Red Dwarf than even Rob Grant does. So, although yeah. Ed know. has, I said directed fewer than half of the episodes of Red Dwarf at this point. I think long since. Well, Doug's, Doug's, yeah, probably might have caught up with him yeah. in terms of number directed. That's crazy to think. We might as well talk about the other interviewees while we're here. Um, like, 
we had the usual ones, uh, all the main cast, obviously, and Doug. Uh, we had Mac, which was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hattie. Uh, <laughs> much like in the series itself, uh, Hattie was perhaps a bit underused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she was good when she was there. Uh, Norman, as well, was interviewed. And then... I, one thing that did surprise me was the range and like the the number of different people, especially behind the scenes people that they bothered to track down an interview. Um, Peter Risdale Scott is oh. just brilliant whenever he turns up in anything. He was even <laughs> better than he was in Launching Red Dwarf. I've got a note here that says Peter Risdale Scott immortal. <laughs> he hasn't changed since that documentary so on the first DVD. Yeah. He doesn't look any Which was fucking different. Eighteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. eighteen years ago. That's crazy, but yeah, yeah I, I, that was um, that was great seeing Peter Isdale Scott again. I Peter Isdale Scott is, I mean, it's it's not like he's an unsung hero. It, like it would be a stretch to call him unsung, but maybe to to kind of the more average red red dwarf fan, like he's literally the reason. Like maybe like Rob, Doug, and Paul are the only three people maybe above him in the reasons why this show exists. And, oh, yeah. and at one and it, point, it was it was their job to persuade him to do it. To, yeah, and then, and then one, he fought. And for once it. he took it on, once he took it on, he fought for it. And like as detailed in the documentary, like he he got he was responsible for getting it commissioned in the first place. But then when the technician strike yeah. happened, he was persuading the rest of the BBC that no, we can, we want to do it. Let's do it now. The sliding doors moment of if he hadn't put the sets in storage. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's the that's the mind that's a mind blowing thing. I I honestly can't remember whether that story's been told to that level of detail before. Of just of of it, maybe it's dramatized a little bit, but just maybe that moment of just, oh, I've put the sets in storage. If I hadn't have done that, it would have never been remounted because it, it just would have increased the cost that amount of money that it just yeah. wouldn't been worth it. It's not even something I thought about is the fact that when the electrician strike was happening, I was assumed it was like sets have been built. They're still there. They're just not being used, and the guys are just rehearsing, like in the set using the set. And yeah. I thought that's what the case. But obviously, they're still rehearsing in Acton, which we yeah. hadn't actually seen the building before, where it actually where it all happened. We've been told it was in Acton. I don't think we've ever actually seen that building, have we? I think the um, the video footage of the building was archive. From not Red Dwarf related yeah. stuff, yeah. I would have thought. I don't think we've. I don't think that was contemporary with Red Dwarf being there because we saw it in stills. Um, like obviously those uh, Paul Grant black and white stills that sure. were toss. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the video footage I assume must have been from some other document. In fact, I had a vague feeling, and I've not fact checked this or anything, but I have a vague feeling that I've seen it before on a Doctor Who DVD. Oh, okay. Um, so like maybe it was just like it's just general library footage of the acting rehearsal rooms. Didn't Joe used to work um, in a building that was on the site of the old action rehearsal rooms? Uh, if not on the site, then adjacent to, adjacent to the site. Yeah. I think I think the rehearsal rooms are now the block of flats that was opposite Joe's old work, right, which was um, Carphone Warehouse <laughs> in Acton. The uh, headquarters of Carphone Warehouse, not a Carphone Warehouse. None of your muck. We also had uh, Donna DiStefano and Mike Agnew, who were, and uh, they were both recently in yeah. the Red Dwarf quarantine commentaries they as were well. Together, uh, great double act. Yeah. yeah, 
like lots of visual effects people, which was good yeah. because you'd expect them to just get Mike, and I'd have probably been happy with that just to have Mike. But they bothered to get they got Mike, Andy Bowman, Rocky Marshall, and Paul McGuinness. <laughs> like, yeah. Paul McGuinness, you don't even we don't think we've got any ever any interview stuff with him. I don't think no, I don't think I'd I heard think he him is speak he before, is absolutely sure. brand new to that. Yeah. Andy and Bowman, I'll, we've seen on a couple of early ones, but yeah, I, I like how they 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 do a really good job of kind of giving Red Dwarf its its proper place in special effects history or like in BBC special effects history it was very reverent mm. about that side of the show which as I, I mean as something that's kind of a little bit it's a documentary a little bit detached from the kind of the official line in that you know it's kind of been done by a company that isn't Grant Naylor um, it could have maybe been a little bit sniffy you know like the, the, gone yeah. to the standard like oh you know, they made five pence go a long way, but the charmingly shit special effects, like, they didn't do any of that. They there do was a couple of moments sets. where, yeah, was mm-hmm. they, they veered at one stage into uh, wobbly, and I wrote it down because in my notes it just says, wobbly sets and low-tech effects, fuck off David Tennant. <laughs> <laughs> like it's him that came up with it. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, came. <laughs> he just thought, do you know what, I'm really going to stick it to those fucking Red Dwarf fans. <laughs> was that a blip? I mean... Uh, yeah, I think that was the exception. I think they they were very reverential, uh, correctly so, yeah. and it was really pleasing to see about uh, Peter Rag in particular, yeah, absolutely, uh, and talking about him and his career and all that he achieved, how brilliant he was. Some new shots, and also of Mel Bibby. Well. Yeah, yeah, well. brilliant shots of him uh, working on Thunderbirds, yeah. like literally <laughs> piloting Thunderbirds. Piloting my favourite Thunderbird. I think everyone's favourite. He was the best Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah, it was the spaceship Thunderbird. Come on. <laughs> This can carry other Thunderbirds. It's the best one. One thing this the documentary really managed to do is give a really warm scent, like a warm feeling. Like it, it was, it was always nice to watch this. There's lots of like all everyone's on good form. Everyone's very happy and positive about the show, and just it, you know, it, it definitely got that right. Like that kind of love of the show that it, get, it really got that across very well. And. Um, mm. Yeah, it was really lovely seeing David Ross again. Um, yeah, and just like I almost feel like we had like a slightly warped view of him from from the commentaries, where like Danny was just constantly being a dick about him. <laughs> like, are you legit? And are you like, legit? It turns out he's just this this lovely, lovely love, basically. I had the I have got a picture. I think because of wrinkles. It's like the Clive Dunn effect. <laughs> Clive Dunn, who played Corporal Jones, but was like thirty when he played Corporal Jones. So, like, I always Fuck think off. that. Are you serious? Yeah, Corporal. It was old age makeup, Corporal Jones. Bloody hell! So, right. Okay. Well, that, okay. That, that is. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I'm just very Dunn much an effect mind. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's the same with me and and David Ross in that. I because he was in Wrinkles in the eighties. I assumed he was like he was hundred and four. He's probably in his early seventies, if that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's he's very much like a. I want him to be my granddad type figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolute quintessential love, basically. Like, oh, he's yeah. such a lovely man. The sort sort of guy that you just you you'd be able to listen to him just you know telling stories all day. I think. Yeah, he'd have some stories. About being a toaster, <laughs> but he's he's really thing is it's like he was such a tiny yeah. role for him, but he just really enjoyed <laughs> that experience as well. That's a common thing with Red Dwarf guest stars is that you know it, it tends to be like a, a notable bit in their career. Like people tend yeah. to remember it and remember it fondly. 
And remember the the details of it and the specifics as well when it's mm. you know it's one job out of a long career. Mm. It was good. I tell you what, I didn't know about um, when you were looking about um, Danny's origins. I didn't know about the Lena Zavaroni show. No, I mean, I've never seen that footage before. That was new. I've googled it and it's online, which I assume is you know what happened <laughs> for the uh, archive researcher on this show. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't know about it before either. It's interesting. Yeah. Didn't really know who Lena Zavroni is other than someone who's mentioned in a Lee and Herring sketch once. Do you know what? I was trying <laughs> to think, of... like, where... I, I was the same. It's like, I'm where do you know the name? name one of one of Simon Quinlack's hobbies on the radio is uh, persuading people <laughs> that he's friends with Lena Zavroni. <laughs> and I didn't know who Lena Zavroni was. And I've, I think I've heard Lena Zavroni said in something like Bottom or Young Ones, I think. I'm sure that yeah. she's mentioned in one of those. I just can see. Yeah, I can I've, never, I've now looked her up. That. I know she is now. She didn't make it out of the eighties culturally. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there was a few other like nice clips of early days. There was some Joey's uh, stuff. Um, Norman yeah. love it on uh, pajama rama, <laughs> which is also a thing that's uh, that's available on YouTube because I checked. <laughs> Look out for that in the future. Gene TV. TV. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get some Joey stuff for that as well because that that I yeah. pretty sure I haven't seen that Joey's. Uh, or at least I haven't that seen that to that yeah. degree. I think we've seen bits of it. Yeah, God, we only saw that sort of pictures. like a. It was like a. I don't know what it would be like a, like a BBC, review thing, or maybe oh, it was Channel Four. Was Channel wasn't it? Four. It was Channel yeah. Four. That's right. It was Channel Four thing about the Joey. Usually, if Robert Llewellyn has turned up on TV at any point early on, it's Channel Four. Weirdly, like he seems to have yeah. this link to Channel Four. Um, he had a he had a sitcom on Channel Four as well, didn't he? An awful sitcom. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. There's no uh, prince among men. <laughs> I thought that the possibly the highlight really was the big round table with the cast yeah. um on the set of The Promised Land. For one thing I noticed that uh on that on the table in Starbuck you can see uh some embroidery that someone's doing. I think it's a prop that one of the cats is using in the in the Promised Land, I can't quite remember. Oh, right. But it's like a tapestry of spelling out the word I assume the word smeg because in the, as of when they filmed this round table it said S M. <laughs> is that because there were some balls of yarn as well, wasn't there? I just can't Yeah. Yeah, it was all that. But yeah that little that was clearly done in like okay guys you can have the cast you've got half an hour go yeah like i'm assuming it, it, it could want to be more than an hour that they had like 30 to 60 minutes i'd say but it's all old stories like there's nothing in there maybe one or two little bits that we hadn't heard before um but it's just a, a good slice of the camaraderie that's there and like a snapshot of their relationship yeah. and so it's it's just nice to spend time in that company we don't get a lot of that really like that kind of just just those four just like just chatting shit all four of them yeah yeah. you only get that a dj yeah that in itself would make a really good dvd extra like the unedited or you know edited for where it needs to be edited but you know the the full chat Mm. or even just the audio as a podcast would have been been great as well it's like the uh do you remember the uh the league of gentlemen chat with uh, paul jackson that was on. Yeah. Uh, that was an extra on one of the DVDs. I think it was a Christmas special, and that's a really good thing. I'd love for them to do one of those with the Red Dwarf guys and Paul Jackson just chatting. Just do that yeah. as a, a roundtable discussion because I think that'd just make a really good thing to do. Mm. I wonder how much is left 
on the cutting room floor of that discussion because it, it does feel like mm. they kind of like you know it, like you say it doesn't feel like it was they were there all day otherwise they would have been dotted around a lot more and like yeah can't maybe they have much. <laughs> wrung everything out yeah. that they could. possibly my favorite bit of it though is i think it was the last section of it we saw when they're talking about the fans mm. Mm. I mean, there's things to say about that fan section in general. Let, yeah, we'll get into it. But <laughs> um, the yeah, they they were talking about specific people that they'd met at Dimension Jump and at other conventions, and just it was. It, it's not always throughout the history of Red Dwarf being the case where you've you've been able to see the mutual respect that exists between the cast and the fans, but on here it was just really nice and heartwarming. And, you know, they they were talking about when Red Dwarf has helped people and also the impact that the fans have had on them and, you know, how they've reacted to yeah. the fans. Um, mentioning people by name, talking about specific costume competition entries that they remember and stuff like that, and that was just really nice. D- Danny especially has got, like, an amazing memory for fans, I think. Like, uh, it feels yeah. like he, he has that... The, you know that connection like mentioning i mean jane was the the cha- the fan club chairman so it's not as if she's an obscure member of the fan fandom but just mentioning jane offhand was just it was just funny to fan club girl jane <laughs> fan club girl, yeah the fan club girl <laughs> let's talk about the fan section <laughs> because it's like it i think there's been there's been worse <laughs> uh, depictions of fandom and it was it was very respectful and reverential and you know it it was kind towards fandom, but it was a bit frustrating in places. Like there's a lot of footage of DJ, like stuff that's been shot either by the fans or you know officially by us at DJ that could have been used. They used a little bit of the costume competition from two DJs ago, um, just a few sort of establishing shots of that. Um, but all the rest of it was taken again from the DVDs. Yeah. Uh, from specifically Hattie's Hattie's DJ Diary, which was an extra on the Series Three DVD from Dimension Jump two thousand and three, and Dimension Jump has changed a lot since then. Yeah. And I don't know whether this is partly sour grapes because all three of us were involved in in running <laughs> Dimension Jump to various degrees between now and then, but it's not the same thing. And yeah, it's odd. It's, it's a sh- it's it, it, we know why it's there because they've just picked up the DVDs and go oh here's a bit that illustrates the point that we want to make here but it's it's not quite representative anymore it's one of those things where you wish they'd have got a bit of input from a fan a consultant uh, there's a, there's a person that that is featured in it and I'm happy for this to go in the podcast by the way there's a person that's featured here who is an unusual and um, somewhat undesirable character and that is all you know stuff that is is publicly knowable so the dvds were put all the extras on the dvds and the documentaries were put together by fans either andrew ellard or nathan cubert or a combination of the two but because this documentary wasn't made by fans it was made by you know perfectly uh qualified and experienced documentary makers who did a great job but they needed a consultant who'd be able to say oh maybe don't use that person in this or ah there's more footage here that can illustrate this better or maybe you want to uh, not use clips from remastered, for example. <laughs> I mean, and the way that it treats four three clips in general is is really bad. Yeah, <laughs> and and they had that person. They had that person. Yes. Yeah. They. Yeah. It should have been said Patrick watching rough cuts and telling them. Mm-hmm. It was on the credits, uh, like you know, he was involved with yeah. archive stuff, presumably from the mythical big hard drive. So 
yeah, it, it kind of it, the whole thing needed a, a fan pass. I'd say it just needed someone to in an advisory capacity uh, to say, yeah, this bit you might want to change this bit. Yeah, Kerry King Neal was there in the in the little fan section, <laughs> yeah. uh, who is uh, someone who's on the uh, official Red Dwarf fan club team. But it annoyed me on her behalf. <laughs> like the fact that she was in it for like five seconds is like that's you know that's part of the course that happens. Yeah. They're not going to fill an entire documentary <laughs> with just some fan, uh, and she wouldn't have expected them to either. But they credited her, they credited her as Red Dwarf super fan, which just makes it like I think that d- does her a disservice because yeah. she's part of the Red Dwarf fan club team and she should have been credited as such because that gives her more authority to talk about Dimension Jump, which is what the soundbite that they used of her was yeah. her talking about Dimension Jump. They should have made it clear that this was someone who is involved in organising the next Dimension Jump who's, who's saying this. Yeah, yeah. And it would have been useful for the fan club to have them mentioned <laughs> you yeah, know, as they show off. Look at this amazing convention that just someone puts on. Especially when you've got a big part of a dwarf story that, that, that isn't touched on, the, the, the wilderness years. And mm. a, a kind of an untold part of those wilderness years are the various things that kept the show alive, or like kept, yeah. kept it going in in you know enough fans' consciousness that it could then be resurrected. And the fan club, the biggest part of that, really, like ups and downs aside, of you know what Dimension Jump was like <laughs> during certain years, whatever, yeah. it still kept going and it still kept that ball rolling, you know, and and provided kind of inspiration and stuff for people like us to carry on as well and like mm. i th- i think maybe there there could have been i mean god that you know maybe this is something that would happen if there was four or five episodes but like a bit more about f- the fan club and about yeah. you know kind of what it means to be part of it. it's not just oh i'm a super fan sat in my bedroom yeah. <laughs> but yeah they did they did skip a lot yeah <laughs> they basically skipped from 1993 to 2009 yes there was there was not a lot about you know it's it's odd because it wasn't no warts but it wasn't warts at all yeah (laughs) there were there were a couple of warts some warts they they took well for a start they talked about red dwarf usa and actually showed clips and that did surprise me that they showed clips i I, you know it didn't surprise me that they talked about it because it's a it's a notable footnote in in Red Dwarf's history, but to actually have clips, <laughs> naturally for mon- for many reasons, it was the same clips that were yeah. used on Dwarf in USA. A, um, that's clearly as far as they went in their research was watching the DVDs, but also um, the master tapes were destroyed in a big fire. So those clips from Dwarf in USA are likely the only clips that exist. Do you in that think, quality. considering how like well known the 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 hoops that Elad had to go through to get those clips on the DVD, which is still like a Herculean achievement as far as i'm concerned do you think that maybe in this case they've kind of just like so well no one they just said to themselves no one's claiming this should we just put these clips in or did it and see what (laughs) happens oh well it's on the dvd yeah did it even occur to them like (laughs) i can't imagine they've got fresh clearance for those clips is, is it well, a case we don't of, know. Is it a weird legal thing where they're able to we use the documentary know. from the DVD and therefore that's a new ownership? Yeah. Is that a thing? 
they've like laundered like the, second... they've, they've successfully laundered the clips through uh, Grand Ale Productions, <laughs> and so now the ownership. <laughs> I just I just wonder how it works legally yeah, speaking, like, in terms of being able Who to knows? take that stuff because they've already done it, and therefore yeah. there's a precedent, and therefore they can use it. They can use those clips, but they can't use anything more than those clips if they're not being released. I'm, I'm going to say that um, neither North One Productions or UK TV did anything wrong whatsoever <laughs> and everything was entirely above board i'm just going to assume that is the case it's fun to speculate <laughs> ian signs legal eagle there <laughs> other production companies and broadcasters are available <laughs> so they spent a bit of time on that which was good they there was i think in the whole documentary i might be wrong but like in terms of stuff that they talked about they spent about two or three minutes on Series 7, in that they spoke about uh, Chloe Annette. They didn't interview Chloe Annette. I don't know whether she was approached and didn't want to do it or whether they just didn't approach her, uh, but they talk about her and show a couple of clips of her. I don't think there was a single thing about Series 8 uh, in the whole thing. Like There was no mention of Ackerman or Kill Crazy uh, or Mac not. You know, back. These, Baxter, yeah. these returning characters. Yeah. There's no mention of... like and. <laughs> obviously we don't like series eight there is no secret there but if you're telling the story of the show and you know as we read in the synopsis the definitive story of the show you'd think that oh yeah we did eight episodes where the entire premise changed and we had a massively expanded cast and everyone was in prison mm-hmm. and then and then it went away for Talk, 10 years talking about why there were eight episodes why was seven so stylistically different why did it change back to eight yeah the the fact that eight loomed its shadow loomed over the next nine years of you know yeah. of nothing of red dwarf uh, like it's a hugely yeah. significant part of the show and it was skin and like you, you probably you don't want to dwell necessarily on things that are considered less successful uh but that's again that's only us yeah, like there successful. are plenty of fans of series seven and eight and there and it was hugely successful yeah. and it's a key part of red dwarf's history maybe they just wanted to it's it's a more difficult story to tell. It's a it's a less mm. positive and breezy story to tell. It's a cheerleadery sort of a sort of a, a production. This and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But yeah, yeah, that, that was there. You know, it was a cele- a celebration um, rather than anything hard hitting. Yeah, but again, mm. don't call yourself the definitive like story. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, to be fair, they didn't mention or show any clips of series eight, but they did spend two or three minutes on "Can't Smeg, Won't Smeg." Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, we were talking about. You know, they've got limited running time; <laughs> they, they need to focus, <laughs> and so they just did that. <laughs> well, that was that. I mean, th- this is what's weird: is that they ended up missing obvious bits, maybe because it that they didn't fit into these loose uh, kind of buckets that they created mm. so like the, the, you know episode three is the science bucket followed by the guest star bucket and because Ainsley Harriet yes. like can't swear Muggs once made gets airtime because it's related to Ainsley Harriet and he fits into that um, mm. whereas you know you could have segued into that and like in the guest stars section you can talk about and in series eight there were recurring guest stars <laughs> appearing across multiple episodes including the really famous Gray McTavish and the guy that was then in EastEnders for 10 years, Jake Wood. That's true. So yeah, Gray McTav- McTavish is one of the most famous of the, the <laughs> yeah. guest stars. Yeah. But yeah, I did like the fact that episode three had that framework to use as an excuse for just talking about 
best episodes and best moments and i thought that worked like it's not it didn't it was just as random really as episode two uh in terms of the the scattergun approach to what it decided to cover but it did have a a more of a structure that made it make more sense and made it flow a little better yeah related to that i did enjoy the fact and appreciate the fact that when they were talking about classic moments in in you know and big episodes there were stuff from the more recent years in there as well it would have been easy to just to just talk about you know series one to six which everyone considers to be the classics but the fact that mr rat got a good chunk of screen time i think was fully deserved <laughs> i'm a big fan of mr rat and the interesting decisions that were made in the in the depiction of that character i think deserved the airtime <laughs> i think it was only right the, I liked... the, the thing is though the fact they didn't use the gong was criminal <laughs> <laughs> i like danny's um Danny's justification, should we call it a justification of the voice? Of like the cat's <laughs> yeah. up here yeah. and like rat is down here. Like he's he's literally yeah. just doing the opposite of the cat. Um, yeah. <laughs> the interesting decisions of Mr. Rat, it sounds like it uh, gives it gives me flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Such to, a weird thing. Yeah, oh, it's like a fever dream. But I mean, you say like the, there was some modern clips, but like there wasn't a lot. And like I would actually it might have been. It might have fallen under the category of a bit too self-congratulatory. But I would have maybe been interested to hear some behind the scenes of how, like, the decisions made to bring Red Dwarf back onto Dave, and what did that entail, mm. and what risks were taken, and you know, who got fired for making some decisions over their head or something. You know, like you know, cool stuff like that. But like, it just wasn't really. Maybe it's maybe it's still a bit. Maybe too fresh yeah. for that kind of. But it's a success think, story, uh, though. You know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, well, and we had we're smegged, which was you know contemporary and told a, a yeah. hell of a story. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but for a different audience, <laughs> for an audience that had already bought the DVDs. I tell you what, it is weird how this seems to be the first time we've seen anything of Back to Earth since it went out. Yeah. Like we have not seen any, yeah. like hide nor hair of Back to Earth since. It... I think yeah, it's it's it might have been repeated once or twice since Series Ten came along, but very rarely. And they make a big thing out of it, like as if it was like, oh god, do you remember when, when, when Craig Charles went to Coronation Street? And it's like a lot of people probably don't remember that because it's not been shown <laughs> yeah, that it's... often. Well, we did. There was a meme. It's was, it was probably a couple of years ago now, but it's probably our most successful tweet that we've ever done. <laughs> Which was there was a meme about um, Marvel. Uh, the Avengers will be the biggest crossover event in history, <laughs> and like other franchises saying hold my beer or whatever it was and we tweeted the picture of the red dwarf crew on coronation street and half the replies were like yeah as if or oh when did you photoshop that together <laughs> well, why did you photoshop that <laughs> oh good good dwarf facts guys you forgot the, you forgot yeah. the hashtag <laughs> the one time the one time that our followers are actually credulous about something and they were wrong <laughs> sorry well incredulous the problem. About it was, something. it was a it was a it was a tweet that went beyond our followers, yeah, which very, very rarely happens, very and that was the problem. <laughs> we had normal people. I, I still get a very warm feeling when I when I see clips of Back to Earth. I still think, oh, I I, I have nothing but like kind of happy associations. It's just like it, it it was flawed in so many ways, and I still have very complicated feelings about it. 
but like <clears throat> I, I, you know every time i see it, it's just like oh, yeah, but, but that's yeah. where it all started up again like that's it did yeah, yeah. that it led to everything that's happened and since the combination and the street stuff second and the, life. and the and the priory joke and like just oh god there's there's, there's lots of nice <laughs> stuff there you know well, interesting. Yeah, if it wasn't for Back to Earth, then this probably wouldn't be happening. Yeah, this this documentary, or at least not in the same way. No, uh, but that's interesting because Doug talks about in in the documentary he talks about that you know when the twentieth anniversary came along, UK TV approached him and said we want to do a retrospective on the show. Let's get the cast back to talk about it and show clips. And he said, no, let's let's do new episodes instead. However, this is later. kind of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 10, 11 years later, he's now done. <laughs> We've now got what Back to Earth could have been. So they woke up one morning and said, oh, shit, we got a bit distracted there. We've accidentally made a three-part <laughs> special and uh, three full series. Should we, should we do the original <laughs> idea again? Yeah, okay. For the 30th, yeah. We, yeah, we right, digress. Yeah. We digress. <laughs> For the 32nd and a half. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the real important birthday. I, I think that the only major thing that we haven't talked about, and I touched upon it briefly, was a gripe, undoubtedly a gripe, which was um, the use of archive footage and the way that, uh, specifically, that four three clips were were treated. It was all over the place. It really was because for so it it just seemed like a bit of a grab bag as to what source they used because there were some remastered clips in there from series one to three which i thought jesus christ like have we not seen the back of those uh-huh. like the original dvds kind of killed off remastered yeah. clips being used by default and you know it's it's with a few exceptions and uk tv seems to have a blind spot with marooned yeah marooned's come back which we've documented that's fucking come yeah, back. marooned remastered has now come back after we got rid of it <laughs> But in this, it was like, yeah, it wasn't even consistent. They used some remastered clips from series one to three and some normal ones. And it was like all the 4-3 material they'd just whacked in. They hadn't bothered to reframe it. So they just chopped off the top and the bottom and, and pushed yeah. in. And there, therefore, there were bits where people's heads were cut off or people were off centre where, where previously they should, you know, they should be in the centre of the frame. And they didn't even bother. That's and it was just, shame. seems a bit slapdash. Is this not something that's been? Because I'd I'd kind of assumed, and I'm probably wrong, that this was something that had been solved after the awkward days of like 15 years ago, when you know you were dealing with clip shows that had you know they were made in widescreen and had primarily full screen clips. I thought like I thought we'd gone down the the route of blurred edges mm. and you know clever tricks to make it look like you're looking at a full screen, but actually, but. Or, or some graphical background, yeah. or just pillar boxes, all of those would have done. And it, yeah, it depends. It always depends on the just production. Some space like, background pillar boxes. Like yeah. it looks nice. It's red dwarf. It's the easiest thing to do. I said this on the site, and I I, I think I was disagreed with. But I, I would say the average <clears> audience <throat> member now knows what a pillar box is, knows why it's there, and knows what they they know the difference between widescreen and and mm. four three. So just. You know, give us that. It doesn't look better to do it this way. It just doesn't. No. The opposite is the fact is the case, because it also means that everything's everything's um, zoomed digitally beyond its original resolution as well. It, it makes me curious what. So, because there must be at the heart of this a very good reason for the for 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 people for professionals that know exactly what they're doing have made a professional decision and presumably it's perfectly legitimate mm. and I'd, I'd just be very interested like what the the drive is to do something like 
you know to to continue with that kind of zooming and cropping. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's an editorial do. decision. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not one that I would have made myself. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is it's akin to radio silence. It's like black, like you know, black screen space is a crime kind of thing. It's, it's like well, it makes no into... difference. Yeah, does it look? Does it just look really strange when you've you not got the entire screen full all the time? Like, does that feel jarring when it's? Oh, well, then you can between? you can have graphics in the background, or you can have yeah, like I said, you can do the blur, you can do the blur. I mean, yeah. I'm not then saying I'm not excusing it. I'm just trying to understand it. Speaking of archive footage, though, uh, going back to that, where I just realised we did actually get the oh, was this on the other DVDs? The um, original Crichton intro on Body Swap. That was on the Body Snatcher collection. Right. Okay. It wasn't on the Series 3 DVD um, because they hadn't found the tape. So they couldn't find it. <laughs> but they'd found it in time for the Body Snatcher collection. Because I think you see when um, when um, Robert gets shocked in that because you see him kind of flick his <laughs> hand like he's ah, like that. He kind of does like a. One of those rare to... occasions where one of Robert's uh, old anecdotes has proven not to be a lie <laughs> <laughs> or, or an exaggeration. Because <laughs> I think we'd kind yet, of assumed that ah, oh, no, he's, he's like he's built that story up, <laughs> like you know. I just think that the take that he's talking about is the one we didn't see. I think we yeah, saw a later really. take when it was fixed, and the first one was probably the one where he got a huge fucking shock of his eye. <laughs> then again, that's an example of um, just to to spin it round to a more positive note to end this part of the discussion on. That kind of footage is the stuff that if you weren't a hardcore Red Dwarf fan, you would be Blow your mind. Like, amazed to see that. Hearing, yeah. Ro- hearing Robert doing a completely different voice, I mean, it's still weird yeah. to me to see that, and I've you know, seen it many times. Yeah, There's but... a fair few of those in that in that episode. There's the original assembly stuff from the end, where you never see yeah. Cat's original instruction. That would have blown my mind if I'd have not known about Shown that Shown for the first mm-hmm. time on national TV, Danny. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, the backwards bit, the... the uh, yeah, that's a, that's oh, yeah. a very loose definition of first-hand oh, British TV. That was the most egregious example of them saying, <laughs> for the first time on British TV, and then they didn't even play the full thing. But yeah, like I said, I think to, to sum up the documentary, I, I'm, I'm, it's it's quite a, it's quite a, it's a very safe watch. It's um, it's, it's a very nice thing for people who don't. Yeah, it's 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 very friendly and and and, and approachable documentary, basically. As a fan, it's it's nice to see that it, it, you know we're still having these things made thirty two yeah, and a yeah. half years later. You know what I mean? It's it's still nice to have these 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 things exist and for a show like you know UK TV to and a production company like UK TV to uh, still get this stuff out is nice. It's yeah. it's nice to have. It just it feels like as if it should be the first three million years and then the next three million years and then we have the <laughs> the second part of all of this stuff with the extra the, the stuff they couldn't yeah. do like do a second part of this I, that just delves a bit deeper into the latter half that would be no great no reason but... at all why that couldn't happen because it is really nice at the end of the day to be in a position where our show our favourite show is like probably the most imp- it is now definitely actually the most important original show on a channel like it's it's Dave's after, big after thing. After Taskmaster's yeah, gone now, to Channel Four again, yeah, yeah. because um, you know I, it's nice to have it be so, so high on the importance scale. And also, every, every time I kind of think about, I mean, it's a complicated <clears throat> thing to to form an opinion on for me and for us, just because of our kind of you know position in fandom and everything we already know, but. Anyone who watching this show that didn't know Red Dwarf at all from the start or only knows it tangentially, this this series of documentaries could only 
do good things, if you see what I mean. Like yeah. It doesn't do any harm at any point. It only bigs things up. It only educates and does it accurately. Um, and yeah. really, I think that's about what we sh- sh- should have expected or yeah. should expect. We were never, ever going to get a... <clears throat> especially not in three hours. We were never going to get the definitive thing that it was... Um, that it was billed as, and we were never yeah. going to get reams of previously unseen material. Apart from anything else, all the best unseen material has been put on the DVDs. Mm-hmm. We were never going to get a vast waves of things that weren't already available. Um, and so, the best we can hope for is that it it does it well, it and it and it is truthful, like you say, and is accurate. Um, and I think, in the large part, it gets it right. Yeah. There are some bits that work better than others there's some bits that i'm not keen on um there are some quibbles with some of the specific decisions that have been made but overall it did the job that it set out to do very well yeah. and it's a nice thing to have it's a nice thing that exists it is a credit to red dwarf yeah, yeah. it is to their credit and the thing is with with red dwarf it, it's interesting how they needed three episodes to get it all in as well yeah, like actually that that's pretty crazy it's just three hours of yeah <laughs> you know three hours of documentary which yeah. is kind of crazy because you can't do that like if, you, if it'd been a one-hour documentary it would have been seriously lacking <laughs> you yeah. would you would be so much you wouldn't have been able to do with it but they, they you know at least we got three hours of a you know a released documentary basically um and i don't know i mean if you want to know more <laughs> there are um dvds out there and they have been available for the last 20 years so if you want to go get those yeah. then then you know they're available and some pricks probably uploaded them onto youtube already so if you want to get them on there <laughs> uh as this is our equivalent of an instant reaction i do have uh, some small points that i've been holding back in my pocket <laughs> thank god thank god um, this isn't a video podcast you should see them <laughs> uh i'm just gonna bash through a few <laughs> oh um how a good all uh, the bit yeah. of how good all uh, the piano, which is always a good thing to see. Yes. Um, going through the alternative lyrics, and again, if you hadn't seen um, settling the score, the documentary, mm. and hadn't known that there was alternative lyrics, that would blow your mind. However, as I have seen settling the score, I was very disappointed that they didn't include the line "I want some sand up my bum," <laughs> 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 which was not included because it wasn't in an extra verse it was something that was later replaced um uh, it, uh, sipping fresh mango juice was originally i want some sand up my bum in the second <laughs> verse <laughs> I, it's a really fascinating insight like like this is this is what you know a composer does when they just need to fill the lyrics in and it really <laughs> doesn't matter what it is and then accidentally most of his lyrics got used anyway <laughs> scrambled eggs <laughs> there was a bit in episode 2 ed by was telling a story about a wet filming day where robert's costume and his mask was just completely saturated with water mm. and they illustrated that with stills from rimmerworld which was not directed by Ed By, and so cannot have been the episode that Ed By was talking about. <laughs> There's, it, that was on the DVD. That, that's a story from the DVD, so we must know what that episode was. Yeah, um, it might have been. I can't. I can't remember. And then I had um, there was two bits of um, voiceover script that I thought were notable for various reasons. 
One is that at one stage, David Tennant casually confirms officially that Back to Earth is Series 9. Because <laughs> in this, the section where they're talking about shooting in front of a live audience, the, he says, despite a brief uh, respite in Series 7 and 9... Yeah. And like, I wonder if are they aware of how controversial that is <laughs> that they've just done there? But I'm taking that as you can stop arguing about it now. Yeah. It's been eleven it's years. Obviously serious. And now nine. and now Doctor Who has told you that it's series oh, nine. Mate, just, and he should know because he's Doctor Who. I I hope we do get put in the position of having to argue about whether um the promised land is series thirteen or not. <laughs> yeah. I hope that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully at some point that will matter. Yeah. Uh, and then the other the other bit of voiceover which struck me was uh, towards the, it was right towards the end actually because they only kind of um, spoke about the revival um, in the last sort of five minutes of the show, but there was a line in the voiceover that says uh, since 1995 Doug Naylor has taken sole charge of Red Dwarf or words to that effect. 1995 is very specific, mm. and so I I strongly suspect that that bit of script has had some input from Doug. Yeah. Because like what sources are they using to know for sure that nineteen ninety five was the cutoff point? When was ten percent I mean, it's ninety six, I think. Because they were still um, kind of working together with ten percenters, weren't they? Well the the pilot for the ten percenters was done as a twosome and ah. the series itself was Doug Solo. Yeah. Um the only thing I thought was Last Human came out in nineteen ninety five. But then backwards came out in 1996, and like in 1993 was series six, and 1997 was series seven. So where would you say 1990? Why would you say 1995 unless you knew yeah. that that was the official cutoff point? Yeah. So that was maybe the legal split mm. was then. And Doug remembers. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a thing: the ten percent is. I've just done a bit of research, and it says the first episode was aired on the 18th of April 1994. Mm. Ooh, and okay. the final episode date was September the third, nineteen ninety six. Two series, right? So they could have been written before, but then shown now. Yeah. Was there any other small points? Yeah, Chris did an impression of Rob Grant that was amazing. That's <laughs> why which I don't see that often. And he also did Peter Rag as well. And I enjoy Chris doing impressions of people who <laughs> can't speak for themselves anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rob can. Well, Rob can, but I mean, like, you know, like. In, Not like, in this, you know, like, Well, yeah. But you could tell it was Rob Grant. It was so funny. I'm looking forward to Rob's <laughs> response in the. Anyone who's seen the lockdown <laughs> commentaries is, knows what Rob Grant's like now. Because it's just Chris doing what he, what he does best, which is just impressions. Yeah. And good Chris faces. The, the cast were on good form. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, yeah, they, they are just they are just saying back the same stories that we've heard. But um, I don't know. There, there was probably enough different in the telling. I think that that made it worthwhile. Um, yeah, especially like Chris. I don't know. Chris maybe seemed a little bit more. A bit, a bit more involved, yeah, a bit more, positive, yeah, a bit more yeah, and chirpy yeah. than maybe he was in the DVD documentaries. Like maybe there was a different dynamic mm. there, um, different yeah. situation now. I don't know. Which you know, a lot of it was shot in and around the Promised Land, so like he's fully in the Red Dwarf mindset. I guess yeah, it's, it's like he's tuned in, probably high on the fact that they're making a good episode. The <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. You said yeah, a lot of these stories have been told multiple times. Maybe like you could do an oral history. 
of just the story about the horses in Gunman of the Apocalypse. Yes. <laughs> There's been so many different tellings of that story. You can piece together the different sources. The and I don't think any of them have topped the original one that we first saw, which was in the Smegouts tape of um, Robert at doing it as Crichton, which I think adds to it. Yeah, that's really good. And do you know what? Seeing that, I mean, that hearing that story retold is is you know it's a little bit wearying. But one thing that I realised is that I will never, ever, ever get bored of the um, cat shooting the sign down and uh, hitting Crichton ever. <laughs> like it is the most perfect few seconds of tv there are some clips of red dwarf that yeah you can't help but <laughs> just laugh at seen it probably thousands of times at this stage but yeah it's it the little pause you. just before you hear the clunk <laughs> the, the the genius of well we'll go into the details of that specific shot but the the, <laughs> the, the thing i learned is the further away something is the funnier it gets so it's that's the, good. it's that's the thing. So it's like if you see if see you see someone crash into a car in a tree in front of you, that's not funny. But if you see on hot fuzz when you see the car going off into the distance and hitting the tr- the only tree in the field, really far over there, that's really funny. Yeah. If you saw someone guy getting hit on the head in front of you, that's not funny. But if you watch it and you happen and you are so far away that you can't do anything about it, that's funny. The so the further away from the camera the person is when that thing happens is usually what makes it funnier. The bit in the first the first uh, Futurama series finale, the series four one, where the robot devil kind of exits exits the screen and then the shot changes and it, it and it cuts to him kind of giggling and running away right in the distance in the background. Again, that's another <laughs> yeah. example. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny when it's further away. Yeah. If, it's, that's, if, it's, um, if it's over there. I like it. So I think we're done. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> we've said everything. I have all my notes are ticked off. Peter Ritzdale Scott is immortal. We've uh, established that. <laughs> yeah, Kathy Burke being Holly. That was a that was a new thing. That was a, a thing I had, I'd never heard before that Kathy Burke had gone down for Holly. That's an interesting yeah. choice. It does ring some sort of bell. Hmm. I can't remember but if something now, Hattie now, might have Now all I want DJ. is I want to see that now. I think Kathy Burke could make an excellent, yes, excellent computer. <laughs> <laughs> the world needs more Kathy Burke. I think. Anyway, absolutely. Uh, so that was the first three million years, apparently. Mm. <laughs> um, we're now going to have a, a small gear change in this podcast. Uh, so uh, let's have a little bit of music and then we'll come back. <laughs> Leaseholder Addendum. Do not despair. The second half of this podcast is available now. Please download Dwarfcast number 116 to continue listening. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>